Hey everyone, welcome to episode 225, Lessons from My Dad from Heaven. Welcome to the Harmony in the Home podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Hutchison. I'm a counselor, a life coach, and most importantly, an imperfect mom doing this work right along with you. And my goal on our podcast is to go from chaos to calm, feel less frazzled and have more fun within your four walls to have more harmony in your home. I've recorded this so many times and then I finally finished and did one intro and then the sound was all staticky and choppy. So I know the sound isn't the greatest, but I'm shooting for D minus right now, not even B minus. If you and I are linked up on any types of social media, you probably already know. And if you don't, then I'm about to break your heart because um, my heart is completely broken, even saying it out loud. And um, I try to just say this, I try to talk about this without my voice cracking and it's impossible. So my sweet, loving, amazing, salt of the earth, kind, humble father earned his angel wings and is in heaven, which sounds so wild to say out loud. And I feel like he was filled with so much wisdom. And I listened back to when he was on the podcast a couple of years ago now. And I listened back and I was crying and laughing that you can hear the lightheartedness between us. And in between the banter and the stories, you can just hear his heart. And there's so many lessons in there and so many nuggets of wisdom that I thought for the next two weeks in honor of him, we should rebroadcast those so we can all learn from our amazing father who hung the moon in our eyes and he thought the same thing of us and the grandkids and his son-in-laws. So without further ado, here is my beloved father speaking from his heart on what it was like to raise three girls in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Take it away, Dad. So today I have a special guest in the studio with me, and that would be my father, the beloved Len Stout. Dad, would you like to say hello? Hello, everyone. This is so weird. We're in the closet locked up together. He's like, I feel like I'm going to the, what did you call it? On death row. He feels like he's on death row. He's very nervous. So just welcome him with love. So if you follow me on Instagram or Facebook, you've heard all the stories about my parents and how I wanted to be just like them. And in that wanting to be just like them, I was having a hard time finding my own voice as a parent. I want to talk to him and let you listen in to what it was like to not only for him to be my dad, but also for him, for me to be his daughter and his other two daughters. I have two sisters. They're both older, Jennifer and Molly. And if you've met my dad or you've met my mom, they are the salt of the earth kind of people. And so raising children, whether it's in the 70s, 80s, 90s, or today, it's always the same because like I always say, kids are kids, are kids, are kids. Wherever you go, kids are the same. They want to be seen. They want to be loved. They want to be heard. They want to be valued. They want to be acknowledged. They want to be validated. They want to know that they're loved unconditionally, not based on anything they do or don't do. So that's why I'm always trying to have you as parents not look at their grades, not look at their ADD, not look at their sports, not look at anything other than their throbbing spirit and see them there, and then you will be able to fly with them. So I just wanted to interview my dad and my mom because I feel like they were conscious parents before they even knew what conscious parenting was. 
And it just came very natural to them, even though they didn't have the exact role models that they needed. So dad, what do you think, what do you remember as being one of the best things about raising three girls? I enjoyed the way they, you all interacted with each other. You always seemed to have so much fun. Uh, when Jennifer was born, of course, she was first, and we lived in a trailer, 12 by 60 trailer. We were, well, we'd been married for two years, and Jennifer was born, and we had a great time. It was just a little small trailer. We had, we had a super time, and then we moved into a house when uh, Molly was born in 1970. Whoa. And uh, it just... We just had such a good time that we had a fireplace. We'd sit by the fireplace with a rocking chair and read stories at bedtime. And, and uh, they just got along so well. And uh, everything went pretty good until... Uh, <laughs> Here we go. Until... <laughs> He's laughing so hard he can't even get it up. Until Kelly was born. Oh, come on. <laughs> but uh, no, I'm just kidding. I mean, it's just, <laughs> we had so much fun. We, the town was only about 8,000 people. We had such good, friendly neighbors, and they had small children, and we had, uh, and my wife was working, and we had such a nice babysitter, and it was just everything was so nice being in a small town, and and uh, I don't have anything really negative about raising three daughters. It's just uh, it worked out so well. Now we were living in Minnesota at the time, and then we transitioned to um, Florida, where we live now. And what do you think was one of the hardest things about raising us? It was a new environment down here. Uh, I really had no intention of moving to Florida anyway. Uh, the company I worked for up in Minnesota was having some challenges, and and uh, we, I was kind of looking for a new job, and I wanted to work in the Sun Belt. And I got a call from this headhunter, and he says, how like you work in the Sun Belt? I said, what's that? He said, well, it's going to be uh, Texas or Arizona or Florida. I said, I don't want to go to Florida. And uh, he said, how come? Well, I didn't have any good reason, and uh, about three or four months later, uh, myself and our one of our really good friends, he got a job at the same company I did down here in Florida, and moved down here in 1977. We moved to uh, Florida, and uh, three or four months later, we went back, and, and the uh, wife and the three daughters, we all flew down, and we started our life in Florida. It just, what happened, what made it so nice, I thought was we moved to a town called Coral Springs, and they had a very, way even back then, they had a very active, established soccer program. And all of our daughters got involved with that program, and it really seemed to, everybody was having so much fun. Uh, we always go to the games, and, and, and it was just, it really made it really nice. And the transition, I thought, went really well. Uh, I, I, I kind of feel bad for, were Mary's parents, you know, all of a sudden we're saying we're going to move to Florida. And I don't think I really at the time understood myself what that meant for for parents. But uh, yeah, that's tough. That's that was I'm sure it was kind of tough on them. And My, you always said that there was two complaints that you had about us raising girls. What was that? You know, we were we've been very, very fortunate. <laughs> I mean, raising kids, three daughters, it really could be a challenge. But for some reason, the only problems we've ever had, they spent too much money and they had messy bedrooms. I mean, and that's, he just sees the life with rose-colored rose glasses because we did really naughty things sometimes, especially Jennifer and I. Like Molly was like the rule follower. She was the middle one. 
Jennifer and I pushed the envelope and we did things that were like, what the what? And you never seem to lose your cool. And mom never lost her cool. How did you keep your cool when we were doing things like sneaking out or spending too much money or had the messy bedrooms or I mean, we skipped school before. Like, how did you keep your cool when that was happening? Well, to tell you the truth, I didn't know about a lot of those things <laughs> until later on in, That's as true. the years passed. And uh, Mary would be so, she came from a family of very nice parents. Family was always the key. And to this day, 54 years later, she hasn't changed a bit. Family comes number one. Her daughters are number one. And it was just, and, and some of the, and, well, we played kind of games. Sometimes, you know, it's hard to get kids up to go to school. So I had this little thing I'd give them. I'd say, come on, get up, get up. Okay, I'll get up. I go up there. They're still not up. So I had this little thing. This was mainly in high school. I'd have a little cup of water. Oh, jeez. And I just, I just have a few little drips. I wouldn't pour it. I just have a couple of drips. You know what? You'd be surprised how fast they get out of bed when that happens. Well, I would just hear the water running in the next room and I would shoot out of bed because he did give us a couple warnings. And then finally he would just come and just drip, drip, drip. And you're like, oh, why did I wait? Why did I wait? So then the next time there was no waiting. Tell them about the time when I was trying to get you back with the water. This was a Saturday morning and Kelly had to get up and go someplace. And again, I this she was she was on the second floor, so I'd walk up. Okay, I'll get up, I'll get up. I come down, come back up. She wasn't up yet. So I came up and I got a glass of water. And at the time I was washing my car out in the driveway. So I had a bucket of water, you know, with soap in it and stuff like that. So I poured actually poured a little water on her and she jumped up and she ran into the bathroom and grabbed a little cup, you know. They hold about five or six ounces. I was coming after you. She filled it full of water and she comes chasing down the stairs after me. She comes out into the garage and she comes around. She's getting ready to throw that at me. And I took this bucket of water <laughs> and I threw it on her. Just doused her. Oh, man. I stood there shocked. And I think that's what my parents always did is they always kept, even the lessons, they always kept it light. They always kept it fun. And the only way they disciplined us was with the D word. Tell them about the D word, Dad. The word is disappointing. You dis don't disappoint. And for some reason, I'm not sure if it's anybody else but Kelly that, <laughs> that really takes offense to that word. But uh, it, 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 it kind of melts into her soul that, that it carries a lot of weight. So that's something that uh, I just don't use. Yeah, they never spanked. They never yelled. They never did anything. They never even grounded us. One time I was tap dancing on the top of his station wagon on the sunroof and I cracked the sunroof open. And I think my, I think my discipline, my consequence that I had to rake the leaves. I'm like, this place is crazy. I, I cracked your station wagon and I'm raking leaves as a consequence. What was that like? <laughs> I still remember I worked at this company is about 30 minute drive. And back in those days, I'd wore a hat to work. <laughs> and here I am on half, not a, not a, any by means executive, but a manager. And I'm driving down this road with my hat on to work. And it's raining out. I got water dripping on my head <laughs> through the crack of the sunroof. <laughs> it was just, we just had a whole lot of fun. I mean, I'm telling you, I've never been more proud of my daughters and, and 
the joy that they brought. I don't know if you know this or not, but I just, uh, I just, uh, I'm a little bit over 70 and I just turned 80 and uh, I feel great, but I've had so much fun with these kids. But I think Kelly talks a lot about bringing baggage from when you were a child that you bring into a relationship or how you deal with your children. I have a little different perspective on this. Growing up, my parents, they were like 20 and 30 during the Depression. So they lived through some really tough times. You mean the 20s and the 30s? Well, what? in 29, when the, when, the, uh, when, the, when the Depression started, right. the market crashed. My dad was 28. My mother was 20. So you can imagine what they've been through. And their parents were really strict back from, from Missouri and, and Illinois. So there wasn't a whole lot of laughter in our house, but they always seemed to care a lot about me and my sister. And like in high school, I always had a, well, it was an old car. I always get to have an old car. I always had gas and I wasn't working. And I just don't remember where all this, not a whole lot of money, but they were always really nice to me. And my problem is, I had a lot of ability in high school, but my mother lived across the street from the school, coolest counselor in high school. And they always kept saying I had more ability than what I was applying. And my grades really in high school kind of suffered. In fact, I graduated, I was a, uh, I was a strong minus C minus. <laughs> so uh, you can see where I come from. And uh, I just, I seem to, of course, sometimes teenagers they think they know everything. Well, I knew everything. And uh, I really didn't show the uh, appreciation to them, or maybe I didn't have a way of expressing it. But then they had me go to, uh, they sent me to college. And that was another experience where I really didn't apply myself. And it showed up with, with letters of, uh, you know, academic probation. And then I was supposed to go to church every Wednesday, and I didn't do enough of that. So now I'm on church probation. And, and then in the spring, we got caught drinking in our room, and now we're on social probation. So after a year, they asked, they asked, they nicely sent me a letter and said, perhaps you should wait out a year. <laughs> and so I had a part-time job during the summer of 59 or 58. And all of a sudden, I came home one time in October. I said, well, I think I'm going to go on a Coast Guard for four years. They always seemed to acknowledge support for me. Even though I was making it, to me, I was making it tough for them. And uh, in a way, I have to acknowledge my shortfalls of my growing up, which made me change my attitude in my marriage and also with my children, that I want to be there for them. And I think it's really worked out because uh, I don't have any negative things from my parents, that the baggage that they it's, it's baggage that I brought along that I created myself. And I think one thing that you learned from that was you always had such unconditional support for all three girls. And no matter what we were into, our parents were just as into it. If we, I always joke that if we became underwater basket weaver champions, they would know everything there was about weaving a basket. And so we were, Molly was in soccer, I was in soccer, Jennifer was in, in dance and drill team and soccer too. And so they were always the biggest cheerleaders and they were always on the sidelines. And you never got... I don't know, you've never, 
like, I know that you love that we all play sports and we burn the drill team, but you never got attached to it or it was part of our identity. Where if I, you love that we played sports, but if we quit sports, it wouldn't matter to you. It wouldn't, there was no condition to it. It was like, it was just something fun to do, but it wasn't something that was part of our identity and why you were loving us so much. One thing about, well, Kelly, she played a lot of soccer. And in middle school, she was already on a travel team, club team. But then in middle school, you know, she'd have like 10-game season, and that'd be like a, a 4.30, 5 o'clock game, and, and she'd go to different parts of the county. And after the game, we'd get in the car, and I'm not sure if we went home first or not, but then we went and drove another, I don't know, eight or nine miles to her club practice. And not once did she say, I don't want to go tonight. Now, if she didn't want to go, she wouldn't have had to go. But it was something that she wanted to do. And uh, it created a lot of memories. We had a lot of one-on-one time, and uh, especially after the practice. Oh, you want to tell them what you did after practice? I'm afraid I have to. Yeah. Confess your sins. This is a good place to do it. We always stopped at Taco Bell, and we have some tacos. I don't know. I, Kelly said she'd have six, but I, I, six. I think I had two. But then we go... Across the street, there was McDonald's over there, and she'd always get a cone. And I had the habit of uh, getting two cones, and as we're driving home, I'm holding two cones in one hand. Lovely. And I and I had the ability to eat them both. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah. He didn't say one for when he got home. It was like he was eating both of them on the whole. And I remember those drives to and from soccer. Sometimes I, would doing, I was doing homework. Sometimes I was talking. Sometimes I wasn't talking. I remember having a really bad breakup. And you just hit me on the knee and you're just like, tough day today, huh? Because I was like fighting back tears on the way to practice. And it was almost like you were holding the space, even though you didn't know what holding the space was. And I just knew that our parents always matched us and they always, they didn't follow us, but they were always into whatever we were into until we weren't into it. And then they would just kind of, okay, we're on to the next thing. And they were so good at at adjusting. And we knew we were never doing it for our parents. We were doing it because we loved it. And they were just cheering us on in the stands, big signs, never missed a game, always there. And what was really cool was when I would play against opponents that were better than me, my dad and my mom would go up to the parents of the other players on the other team and say, your child is so gifted in this sport. Your child is so, uh, we're just so amazed and we're so um, impressed by watching your, your daughter play. And that always just taught me never to look at competition as competition just look at the other team and what can I learn? What can I grow? And it wasn't like they sat us down and said, this is what you need to do. They just did it and embodied it. And then we just absorbed it from them. So it wasn't like they had to sit us down and say, you know, don't compare yourself to other people. It was like, look at the gifts of the other people on the other team or in your class or whatever it is and see what you can learn from them versus seeing them against you. So I thought that was a really cool lesson that we learned. And Taco Bell was one of our favorite places. I still can't go by Taco Bell without thinking about you. (laughs) The other thing is, you know, Jennifer, our oldest daughter, and Molly, they were both really good soccer players. And, of course, the town just didn't have a, an older age group where Jennifer could fit in. But uh, I remember we used to go to all her recreational games, and uh, we just had such a good time. And Molly, in fact, Molly and Kelly were on a high school team for when Kelly was a freshman Molly was a senior, and they played together on the same team, and uh, we really enjoyed that. So it's just been a really a great experience. And, and the reason that we always hold a space, if anybody held a space, it was my parents. Because let me tell you, I, I did a lot of things that I'm not proud of, 
that I wish I could change. I never got any kind of trouble, like law-wise. <laughs> but there's a lot of things that I did that that I they, you think that sent them in in you know in, in the into orbit, but they really didn't. They they're always there to support me, and uh, I guess I never really appreciated it until later on in life, and and that's why I do that with the family. And I think that your parents were always very, very serious. And I remember going and visiting and we had to be, be careful not to break anything. And it was like almost like a tiptoe energy, but it was also very loving at the same time. So that's pretty cool that you were able to take that energy and not, you know, project it onto us and turn it into that tight, serious energy. Because I felt like you were always really laid back until you did the bills for some reason. For some reason, when he did the bills <laughs> once a month, it was like, oh, dear, dad's doing the bills. He had this accordion desk. And for some reason, when we got the bills in the mail, he would throw the bill under the accordion desk, close the accordion desk, and he would put it off and put it off. And then he would do it once a month. And those were the only times that we had to, quote unquote, stay away from dad. And what was going on there with the accordion desk? <laughs> I'd lift it up three or four inches, throw that junk mail and bills and everything in there, and I'd slam it back down. <laughs> and I don't know, every once in a while, I'd have to get in there and, and go through it. And here's an example of how I kind of held the space for a troublemaker. Are you talking about me? Oh, we'll, dear. We'll get at it. Oh, dear. I'm going through this bill on my visa, and it says... Uh, Not the iron. Are you bringing up the iron? You're bringing up the iron. Oh, my gosh. I'm going through this bill, and I see this bill. It says... I don't know where she got it from. QVC. QVC. It said uh, uh, iron, you know, for ironing clothes. Uh, $45. I says, Kelly, what in the world are you doing with a $45 iron? My iron costs $12. In fact, I bought one in 19, in, in, in 2000 for $13. And I still have it today. Oh my gosh. Anyway, $45 for an iron. Little did I, little did I know that was only the first installment of three. Oh, <laughs> this QVC had me selling it. Like I never had to go to the dry cleaners again. It was pretty much going to dress me up every day. It was going to make me look fancier. I was so hook, line, and sinker. I can't even watch QVC because they 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 sell me on things that I don't need because I'm I'm like an instant gratification as seen on TV person. And oh, why don't you tell them about um, the Blitz and how tryouts went for that, Mister? I'm so like innocent angel on my head. Want to tell about the halo with Blitz? The uh, yeah, let's go. The, let's bring it. <laughs> she was on a, she, under thirteen. She was on a travel team in uh, this town of Coral Springs, which is a very good team. Great coach, great teammates. Just had the best of time. But they this this coach, he kind of wanted something different for the girls, so he kind of wanted to set up a team where the, the everybody on the team was really really strong. So. He got a hold of this this uh, fellow from from uh, Columbia, and his his uh, he had a sister and a brother in law, and they wanted to start a new travel team where they took girls from three different counties, and we had a tryout, and it was hot Saturday. Oh, oh it's coming! Gosh. It's coming! It's Saturday, but it was the practice was like ten to eleven thirty or or eleven to twelve thirty something like that, really hot, and. Kelly was kind of hesitant about going to this thing because we're all nervous. Will she make it? Will she make it? And so she goes to this practice and, and, and they put them through the paces and she comes off and he sets them down. 
he sets him, she figures, oh, this is it. She sits him down, the coach sits him down after practice, and he, he talks about the goals and stuff like that. He says, uh, all right, that's it for the day. We'll see you tomorrow, same time. Oh, my gosh. She comes over sweating like a stuck pig. <laughs> she says, Dad, you never told me there was there was practice, practice two days. I said, well, if you would have, if I would have said something, you might not want her to come. Yeah, how about that? <laughs> a little hook, bait, line, and switch. Uh, what is it called? Bait and switch. Holy moly. I think it was actually 8 to 12, come back after lunch, 1 to 5, then go the next day. I don't remember no 10 to 11.30. I can handle that. But I remember being all day Saturday and thinking, what did I sign up for here? Am I even going to make this team? And then when he says, oh, I'll see you guys tomorrow, same time, same place, I shot him a look like, what are you doing? And in hindsight, it was the greatest decision ever because it upped my soccer. I did make the team and it was the greatest experience ever. And I was able to go on and play in for college because I was playing at such a high level. So it was a bait and switch. So it was for my own good. But holy moly, good thing he didn't do that very often or I would have lost a lot, a lot of trust there. Those five years were really something. She had she never had friends on the high school team, but then she'd have a whole another total new friends on this travel team. And it was just a great experience, and it's something that, uh, you know, my wife and, and daughters, we all got involved with. It was just one of the best things ever. But going back to the, just back to the family, holding space for when something goes wrong, my parents held so much space for, for, my, for my start of high school all the way through, pretty much through that first year of college. So about for five years, they held so much space for me that I... Didn't know what that was, but I sure do now. Yeah, and it was really, uh, he was able to do that for us, seeing that, like, if we ever got off on the wrong path, he was just like, been there, done that. It's going to be okay. It's all going to be, it's going to be okay in the end. And so he never got really caught up in any of the worry or stress of we were going down the wrong path. 